Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Digital Cathedral today. This is Sunday morning, January, uh, January, July the 19th. We are right almost in the middle of summer, aren't we? And uh, I hope you have your second cup of coffee, maybe a glass of orange juice, and you're ready to get into some word this morning. We've got some great things to cover in this third chapter of Philippians. We're up to Philippians chapter 3 in our study, and Colossians is just around the corner. A lot of good things in Colossians as well. I hope you're enjoying this study, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Uh, I have gotten a lot out of it as I've meditated and studied and gone over a lot of these things. In particular, this third chapter, Philippians, I think presents us with some really good insight. And we're also going to look at a passage of scripture from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that I think has been highly misinterpreted by the church and used in a way that Paul never intended for it to be used. But before we get there, let's look a little bit at Philippians chapter 3. And I want to look today, I want to, I want to go through the first 11 verses. And if I were to put a title on the teaching today, I would call it uh, the Ascension of Sonship or Ascending Sons. Because this third chapter is about the travel and the, the life of Paul in his journey from religion to revelation. You know, this guy, Paul, he went from this soul-driven nightmare as a jihadist against the early Christian church to a man that was completely surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. So we're going to look, look a little bit this morning at, in Paul's own words, of this journey and his ascension, his rise as a son, all right? I, I like this third chapter because Paul just lays it bare like he so often does. Paul is so transparent in his writings. He talks about his failures, his victories, his shortcomings. He talks about uh, his goals, his journey, where he wants to go, what he has to say to the different believers and the things that they're facing. And Paul doesn't very often pull any punches. He just calls it the way that it is. So let's look at this uh, third chapter of Philippians. I want you to stay with me for the whole teaching this morning because we're going to walk through this and then we're going we're gonna to let it lead us into another passage of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that I think you're going to find highly interesting. All right, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. Let me look at the first three, three verses. Paul says, Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you, it's safe. He says, beware of dogs. He, he just calls it like it is. You know, he says, beware of those that are like a, a, a mad dog. You know, they don't have very much uh, empathy, very much sympathy. They got one thing in mind, that's attack. Uh, they, they're, they're looking to, to pounce on you. He said, beware of the dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. When he talks about the mutilation, he's talking about circumcision, those that mutilate the flesh. And remember, way back in Galatians, Paul tra traced through for us the Judaizers, those that believed in Jesus but felt you still had to be circumcised, keep the law, at least to that extent, to be saved, to make yourself right with God. So he says, I want you to beware of these people. Beware of those that don't have your best interests in heart. And then he says in verse 3, for we are the circumcision. We, we, are the, we are the ones that are, are the true followers of Jesus who worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. 
He's saying that these Judaizers, those that, that are, are masters at cutting flesh, and that's what, that's what Paul's driving at here. He's saying, watch out for people that are just trying to do something to you in the flesh to get you to conform. That's what Paul's, Paul's after here. In this, in this third verse, he says, we're the ones that follow Christ without that cutting mark of religion. We're the ones that follow Christ that aren't concerned about the flesh because we have trans, we've transferred over into another dimension. We're living out of another realm. We're, start, we're living out of spirit. So Paul says when you're coming out of spirit, there's not a fear or there's not, maybe fear is not the right word, there's not an apprehension or a need to feel like you have to accomplish something in the flesh like circumcision in order to make yourself acceptable to the Father. Then in verses 4 through 11, he traces a little bit of his journey. And I like verses 4, 5, and 6 because Paul says, what I'm warning you about, I've been there. I, I've, I've lived that life. I know what I'm telling you. That it, it, it avails to nothing. There's no gain to, to that life of circumcision. There's no gain to this life of living by the flesh. And he says, I, I've been there. So in verses 4, 5, and 6, he talks a little bit about his own journey. Then he targets where he wants to go in verse 10. Then I want to back down from verse 10 back to verse 4 and talk about the journey of Paul, and then we're going to branch out a little bit. Okay, are you with me? Now, here's Paul saying, I've been where you're at, and I'm telling you it's not profitable. Verse 4, he said, though I also might have confidence in the flesh if anyone else should. If anyone thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I should have more confidence in the flesh than any of you. Verse 5, he said, I was circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. I mean, this guy this guy was a pedigree. I mean, he, he was a, a thoroughbred, a purebred. There's absolutely no, no doubt about it. Verse 6, he says, concerning zeal and persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is of the law, he said, I was absolutely blameless. Well, I think Paul kind of overstated his case there. I, I find it hard to believe that Paul was not blameless, didn't miss it at all. But I think he's, he's trying to set a standard here saying, I've lived the life. I've gone beyond it where any of you have gone. I'm a pedigree of a pedigree. I'm, I'm the blue blood of the blue bloods. I was educated. I was raised. I was nurtured. And he's, he's saying, I, I, I've, I've walked that walk. I know where it leads. So in verses one through three, where he's warning them, he's not warning them just out of, out of, uh, a desire to, you know, say, guys, you need to shape it up or watch out for this. He's warning them based on the life that he's lived. So in verses then 4 through 11, he's tracing his journey and he's saying, let me show you my journey. So verses 4, 5, and 6, he starts and says, this is, this is where my journey started. This is, this is how it all began for me. Then when we get to verse 10, verse 10 is really the key verse in these first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 3, because verse 10 tells us exactly uh, where Paul is and where he's going. So let me read this 10th verse. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. He said that I might know him. This is, this is his goal. This is the target. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. 
So the key verse, the key idea that Paul Paul's driving across here, and a lot of us are in, in the exact same place that, that Paul was when Paul wrote this. Many of us are, are in the same place. We are fully seeing our co-inclusion with Christ. And I think that's what Paul was getting at here. He's saying, I, I, I want to get, and let me, let me read it again, verse 10. He said, I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. He's talking about identification here. Paul is saying, I want to be identified with Christ in everything, including, including my, my co-suffering, my co-crucifixion, my co-resurrection, and my co-ascension with Christ. He said, the whole thing that I'm after is to know him, and I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to say more about the power of his resurrection in just a moment. But let me just bring it in, into where we live today, because this, this is... This is where we live. We're coming alive in the realm of the Spirit in the way that Paul was. And we're, we're finding, we're discovering that it's the Spirit that is pumping Zoe to the body. Now, I'll be honest with you. I, I never really knew this until a short time ago. I never really thought about it until a short time ago. And it has dawned on me that the life of, our, of the physical man is actually generated by the spirit man, by that resurrection life. The, 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 the verse that really tipped me off was Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where, where he says, I was crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. And then he goes on to say that the life that I live is being fueled, it's being, it's being uh, quickened by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It is a power of spirit that is quickening my mortal body. Maybe I should read that verse for you from Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 because it is, it is an eye-opener. And, you know, when I look at life, I say, okay, this is kind of where we're at right now. This is what we're discovering. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life source is not him, it's Christ. He, he establishes that. And, and the life which I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, right? Who loved me and gave himself for me. The life that I live, which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's the life of Jesus. It is that spirit life that is quickening our mortal bodies, our mortal flesh. The body is coming alive to the realization that we are genuinely fully 100% spirit beings. We're not flesh beings. We, we have the appearance of a flesh being, but that's not really us. What's really us is this spirit being. So the body is beginning to function now as a spirit, if I could say it this way, as a spirit switchboard. You know, back in the days when, when you would call and a lady at a switchboard would take your call and they connect you physically connect you to the right uh, to the right person that you wanted to talk to. And that's kind of how the Spirit is working in our life. The Spirit is taking everything that's coming to it and it's plugging us into the right place that we need to be plugged into to generate the life that needs to be generated within us. Paul in verse 10 of Philippians chapter 3, let me get back over to Philippians chapter 3. Paul calls that in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, he calls that resurrection life, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the power of that resurrection life. It's, 
to know that life, to know that resurrection life, listen to me, it takes a deep submission. And the Father is working that deep submission into our lives, where we are submitting now to that resurrection life. Now I want to walk back the verses from, from verse 10 backward just a little bit to show you how Paul arrived at verse 10. So we, we read the first three verses. Paul said, watch out. There's people that are out to destroy your faith, to, to not give you spiritual life. Their only intention is to do a work in the flesh, to try to get you to conform in some fleshly way. Then in verses four, five, six, Paul says, I've been that way. I can tell you it doesn't work. There's no value in it. And then he comes to verse 10 and he really hits the goal. And he says, this one thing that I want to do in verse 10, he said, and the thing that I really want to do is to know him and the power of his resurrection. Isn't that the goal? Isn't that what we all want to know right now? Which is spare life. The, 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 the power of his resurrection is the power of the life of the spirit. So the father is working in us to get that spirit released out of us, that resurrection life that is quickening, that is giving life to our mortal bodies. Now, he, he begins to back this down in verse 9, and let's trace this back just a little bit. In verse 9, he says this. He said that I might be found in him. Now, he's, he's going to tell us. He's, remember, verse 10 is the goal, the resurrection life. So now he's telling us how he's arrived at this place, of where he desires the resurrection life. So if that's you this morning, if you're with me on the digital cathedral, you know that, man, we're tapped into spirit right now. We're, we're moving in spirit. So we're, we're tracking right along with Paul as he's come through Galatians, Ephesians, and now we're into this third chapter of Philippians. And Paul has been taking us on this progressive journey of learning how to live out of spirit. So he's, now he's going to tell us a little bit of how he arrived there. Verse 9. I'm being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So he said, the first thing that I had to do to begin to attain to this resurrection life was I had to abandon all of the self-righteousness, all of the works of righteousness that I counted on so dearly in religion, verses four, five, and six, to make myself right. He said I had to abandon those. How did he abandon those? How do we abandon them? Well, God does a, God does a deep work in our life. It's, it's not something that you, you physically, fleshly can generate and make happen. You, don't, you can't just cut things away. That's the work of circumcision. That's a work of the flesh. The Father works deep within us. And I'll probably say it five or six times as we come through this teaching today, but the, the job that we have is to simply cooperate with what he does. It's to recognize and cooperate. That's the life of spirit. That's, the, that's how resurrection life begins to well up within us. Now, before we ever can subdue kingdoms, we have to subdue this kingdom. This is the one he's working on. That's what Paul's getting at. And that's what Paul's working on in verse 9. He said, the first thing, I see, he said, I'm attaining, verse 10, to that resurrection life. I want that life to, to give life to my, to my physical man, to my mortal body, to my flesh. He said, so to attain there, he said, first of all, I had to abandon everything that I counted on myself to make me righteous, verse 9, and to be found in him. Now, if you're found in him, the only way you're found in him is to not have your own righteousness, which is from the law. So here's what I want to challenge you about today. 
I want to challenge you just to look at your own life a little bit. Are there still things that you cling to, that you rely on, that really are kind of on the back burner back there, but honestly, you're, you're still kind of trusting in those to make God smile? Because that's, that's your own works of righteousness. And Paul is saying that he had to get rid of those and he had to begin to tap into the faith of Christ. Right? So it's that, it's the faith of Christ, our cooperating, our submitting to that. That's all lordship really is. Lordship is a submission, it's a cooperating with what the Father is doing within us. It's a, it's a total laying down of our righteousness and embracing his righteousness as ours. And Paul, Paul talks to the, to the Corinthians about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. And you'll see the exchange that Paul says we need to make. Our righteousness, our, our, our righteousness, which is built on works and acts, we need to exchange it for his righteousness. And let me emphasize this again. It is a work of God. It is not something that you can do. It's something that you cooperate with as he works in your life. So you don't have to get all, all bent out of shape like, man, I'm not measuring up, I'm not doing well enough, I'm not striving, I'm not, you know, I'm not working at this hard enough. The harder you work at it, the slower the progress. So watch the exchange Paul talks about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30, it says, but of him you are in Christ. But of him, his working, his doing, his effort, his work, of, of him you are in Christ, watch, who became for us wisdom from God. He's your wisdom. Within you reside all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge because he resides. So we're learning how to pull up on that. Not only was he here wisdom, but watch, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now, my, my background, my church background, was all about sanctification. We believe that sanctification was the second definite work of God's grace, whereby inbred sin was eradicated and it enabled us and empowered us to live a holy life. So we kept it by the holy life that we would live, which oftentimes was what Paul was getting at in the first three verses. We were circumcising the flesh. We were trying to bring the flesh under subjection. And we didn't realize the truth. Nobody ever taught 1 Corinthians 1.30 to me. I never heard it. I never heard what 1 Corinthians 1.30, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who was made for us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He is your righteousness. He is your sanctification. He is your redemption. So what, what's my part in that? My part is to say, I see that and I cooperate. I see it the way you see it. And I say, yes, so be it unto me according to your word. So what's the father doing? In, in that 10th in that, uh, verse, Paul says, here's what I want. I want to attain to resurrection life. Verse nine, he says, the way that I'm, I'm beginning to move there is to rid myself of my righteousness, which is of the law, whether it's you know law out of the Bible or laws that your, your denomination has made up. He said that all is self-righteousness. I have to rid myself of that. So he's working his process of lordship. That's, that's really what's the underlying theme here is the lordship. He's working lordship in you. Lordship is, is not your uh, proclaiming that he's the lord of your life and then earn it or prove it. 
You know, I used to prove that he was the Lord of my life by my actions, my Bible reading, my prayer time, my holy life, my dedication to service. That proved he was the Lord of my life. At least it satisfied me. I was never happy with it because it was never enough, but it satisfied me that I was moving in a direction of his Lordship. I never understood the fact that the Father was doing the work in me, pulling things off of me by grace, and as I cooperated with him, as I rested in him, his influence did this surgery on me effortlessly, and he changed me. There, man, when I tapped into grace or days, I, I would get up and look in the mirror, and I would say, you've changed, man. Your attitudes have changed, your perspective, the way you see people, the way you conduct your, it has changed, and you have done nothing to change it. All these things that you have strived for to try to make happen in your life, all these years, now they have all of a sudden arisen. They're manifesting, and you had nothing to do with it. So before we subdue kingdoms, manifesting as sons, we got to subdue this kingdom. And he tells us the first step in that is to rid yourself of all acts of self-righteousness. All right, let's back it up to verse 8. Let's back it up to verse 8 because here's Paul's journey. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. He said, I count everything but loss. Now he's, he's getting into the lordship thing. I count everything as, as, as loss, as loss, verse 8, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. So notice he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm losing everything. I'm counting it as zero that I can gain the Lordship of Christ for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. So he's drawing a comparison here. He's saying, I'm counting everything else in life as a zero with a rim knocked off that I can obtain Christ. Now, I, you know, I don't think... Paul is saying we have to get rid of everything. We have to live like a hermit. We can't drive a car. We can't live in a house. We can't enjoy things. He's saying in comparison, he's saying on a, on a scale, you know, the Lordship of Christ and things, they just don't measure up. There's no comparison. So he said by priority, by prioritizing, by the life that I'm living, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm, I'm moving toward this, this life where I'm recognizing that I, I just need to push it all to the back burner and let him have his way in me. Now, that was Paul's journey. And what he's saying here in verse 8 is that the higher you want to go, then the lower you have to go. You go as high in ascension, you go as high in consciousness as you're willing to go low. And in verse, I think he says, says it so eloquently in this eighth verse. He said, I count everything but loss, he's going low, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, taking him high. And evidently it worked good. He liked the results of that because he goes on to say in verse 10, I have suffered the loss of all things. So he said, it worked pretty good. This ascension thing, going low and then going high. I found that as, as I went low, as I got rid of things, I counted them but lost on my scale of priority. They didn't measure up. I found that I was able to attain to more understanding, to a higher level of consciousness, to more revelation. He said that was really what turned my life on. So he said, now nah, I've just brushed it all aside. I've suffered the loss of everything that I may gain Christ. So let me just say it again. How high you want to go, how high you want to ascend as a son depends on how willing you are to prioritize on a lesser basis everything else 
in life. This whole passage of scripture is about ascending as a son. And Paul is telling us how he moved from religion, verses 4, 5, and 6, Pharisee the Pharisees, Hebrew the Hebrews, concerning the law, blameless. He, he was, you know, he won the blue ribbon. He was the gold medal winner of religion. Then he goes on to say those things didn't count as anything. So he said, I'm warning you. He said, stay away from it, verses 1 to 3. I'm warning you it doesn't work. He said, the real, the real zing, the real high comes from prioritizing on a lesser basis everything in life compared to knowing Christ. You remember what John the Baptist said? I'm just sitting here thinking. John the Baptist said that I must decrease that he might increase. So let's say it another way. The more willing you are to decrease, the more that Christ will increase in your life. Paul's saying the same thing. He just said it a little bit different. He said, I, I, I find that when I lose things, that I gain things. He said, and the things that I gain are much more valuable than the things that I'm losing. So he said, really, I now have lost it all to gain it all. John the Baptist is saying, the smaller I become, the larger Christ becomes, and I like that, so I'm going to become infinitesimal. Now, let, let, me, let me put the Keith Lee paraphrase on that. What John and Paul are saying is, is that to really live resurrection life, we let Jesus absorb us into his life. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ that lives in me. He absorbs us into his life, but we retain our uniqueness. You, ne you never will be without your uniqueness. God wired you a particular way. You have likes, dislikes, uh, appearance, attitudes. I mean, it's just the way you're, you're, you're built, right? God built you that way. You, you won't lose those. If you, if you like apple pie, when he absorbs you into his life, you'll still like apple pie. If you, if you like to go to ball games after he absorbs you into his life, you'll still like to go to ball games. If you enjoy business, you like starting businesses, you like building businesses, he absorbs you into his life, you'll still enjoy those things. You keep your uniqueness. We're talking about a life source today that fuels us naturally, but it comes out of, uh, out of a spirit source. It comes out of resurrection power. So I, I think sometimes, I, I think we need a new definition of lordship. Because back in the 80s, in the Word of Faith movement, everybody confessed that Jesus is Lord. Lordship is a deep work of the Spirit within. It's not your striving to make him your Lord. The Lordship of Jesus is a deep work of the Spirit within, where gradually the Spirit of God helps you to release everything. Now, Paul said, I've lost all. But really, he didn't lose anything because in gaining Christ, he gained all that he thought he lost plus so much more. But it's a work of the Spirit. All right, let's keep tracking backwards. We went verse 10, resurrection life. Verse 9, he began to attain to it by not counting on works of the, of the law, his self-righteousness. Then he got into verse 8 and says, it works so well that I'm willing to give up everything. Now, watch the deep work of the Spirit in verse 7, he, thinks, he said, the things that were gained to me were the things that I counted loss for Christ. That's exactly what I've been saying to you. The greatest gain that you can ever have in life is to lose everything to Christ. Because when you lose everything to him, you gain all that you, you thought you gave him, plus you gain him. 
Now, naturally, we don't see that. That doesn't ring a bell with us because, you know, we want to hang on to our stuff. We want, to, we want to hang on to our stuff. But he's saying in verse 7, the things that were gained to me, I, I counted loss for Christ. So he's saying, what we've just been reading is, Paul said, I've been willing to lose everything. Now, what is it, what's he talking about? Is he talking about, you know, his prized donkey or, uh, you know, his, his house? What's he talking about here? When you lose things, we're talking more about things like personal rights. We're talking about your will. We're talking about surrendering your future, the path that you're going to walk down, the circumstances that you're going to face in life. You let go of those things with a trust. And again, we're walking in another dimension. We're walking not in a natural realm when we talk like this. You're willing to, to let go of your personal rights, your, your, your own will, your future, you know, the, the things that may, you may encounter in life. Paul had to surrender the time he spent in prison. He had to surrender being beaten with rods. They weren't beating him. They were beating Jesus. And Paul knew that because Jesus was with him. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. So everything that Paul went through, look, Jesus doesn't ask you to lose anything but what he walks through you with the loss, if there is a loss. But when you come into a kingdom dimension, you begin to be governed by kingdom absolutes, then the natural right and wrongs, good and evils, they don't apply in the kingdom because there's only him. <laughs> there's only one power, one mind, one life, and it's his. So we, we abandon that thing and it becomes, it becomes a work that he works fully and totally in us. So ascending sons are after what Paul was after. And what Paul was after in verse 11 was this. And this is where we're going to begin to, to break off. Verse 11, let me get this out. He said, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Well, that is a key verse. What is he talking about there? He said, if by any means I might get this, this immortality, this life that will stop me from being dead. Now, I could spend all day on that verse. I could spend all day on it. He's talking about ascending as a son to the place where resurrection life, the life of God, eternal life, so quickened his mortal body that death didn't have dominion over him. I, I think Paul resurrected several times. I mean, Paul was, was stoned. What, was he stoned, what, three, four times? I mean, when you stoned somebody outside the city, you didn't stop until there was nothing left of life. And the last stone that was, was thrown was a huge rock that you went over and threw it and on, his, on, the, on the person that you're stoning, threw it on their head to ensure their death. Now, after they did that and they left, Paul got up and walked into town. Tell me he didn't resurrect from the dead. Tell, tell me that resurrection life was not working in Paul. I don't believe any man took Paul's life. I believe when he came to the end of, the, of his journey, and he, he said it more than once, look, I've finished my course, I've run the race, I've kept the faith, there's laid up for me a crown. He said, this is what I'm looking for. He said, I, I, my, my journey is finished. And it, it, was, it was not one day too early or one day too late. It was exactly on time. Right? So we're talking about the ascending of sons. And Paul lays it out so eloquently in his third chapter of Philippians. 
and he starts out in the first three verses and says, Philippians, don't get involved with the dogs. Don't get involved with those that want to destroy you, that want to not build you spiritually, that want to that are only interested in flesh conformity, that want to circumcise you so that you're like everybody else. He said, don't get involved with those people. I've been there, verses four, five, and six. I was the thoroughbred. I was the poster boy. I had the gold medal. He said, I'm going to tell you now, and he starts out in verses six through 11. He starts out and says, here's, here's what really counts. He said, it's gaining Christ. It's gaining the resurrection life. And he says, you do that as you surrender self-righteousness. You begin to let go of everything. You surrender your rights. You surrender your future. You surrender circumstances. See, that's a, that's, that is acknowledging that Jesus is the Lord of your life, not just with a proclamation as we did in the Word and Faith days. You know, we had the banners up, Jesus is Lord. We, we didn't know what that was, except that we would strive to make him the Lord. We would confess. We would believe. We would quote scripture. We, you know, that's how we worked at it. We worked at making him Lord. You don't work at making him Lord. You cooperate. Look me in the eye. You cooperate with the work of the Spirit in your life, and he will dismantle everything that doesn't look like the Lordship of Jesus, and you cooperate with him. The ascending of sons. The ascending of sonship. Now, there's a passage of Scripture, and here's what I wanted to get into. We don't have a whole lot of time left. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, let's come to the back of the book. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse, uh, let me start with verse 17. And let me say, this, this passage of scripture that I'm going to read is about the ascension of sons. It's not about the rapture. The church has made it about the rapture. The rapture is only, the rapture doctrine is about 150 years old. It resulted out of a young lady that had a vision it was picked up by C.I. Schofield and put into his, trans, into his Bible, Schofield Bible, in the notes. He made all kinds of notes about the rapture and the second coming and all kinds of things. And people began to believe the notes of Schofield were as inspired as what they thought the Bible was. So when Schofield said it, it was like Jesus said it. And so it's a relatively new doctrine. And one of the passages of scripture that was heavily relied on was this 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the ascension of sonship, the ascension of those that are alive, and it even is inclusive of those that are still not awakened or are still dead to the things of the Spirit. So I want you to look at it through those lens. Now, as I go through this, I know that some of you are still going to pull on those old rapture, rapture ideas that have been planted deep. And I'm telling you, this is not a rapture scripture. This is a scripture about the ascension of sonship and the things that we've talked about in Philippians 3. Let me start with verse uh, 17. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. He says, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now that was the, that was the creme de la creme scripture for the rapture. Now what's he really saying here? He said, then we who are alive and remain. Now he's not talking about a physical being alive. He's talking about spiritually alive. I know that, I, at least I know it, because he uses the word alive and remain. Now, if he was just talking about 
physical life, he could have left out either the word alive and remain, because if you're alive, you remain. And if you remain, you're alive. So I think it's obvious to me, as I've meditated this passage of scripture, it's not about being physically alive, it's about being spiritually alive. And we who are spiritually alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Them who? Them that were dead in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. Now this thing of clouds, it's, he's not talking about a, a, cumulo, a cumulus cloud, a nimbus cloud. He's talking about, in Scripture, a cloud is a, is a metaphor for several things. It can mean the presence of God. It can mean the presence of the Lord. Uh, it can also mean a dense multitude. We, we read about the cloud of witnesses in Hebrews. That cloud of witnesses is a dense multitude of people that have gone on before us that are cheering us on. So the, the, the cloud that he's talking about is a, I believe it's a dense multitude of, of people. Then we are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them, with this dense multitude of people. Revelation said it's a number that's so large we can't even count it. But let me give you some backdrop on this. Let's, so I, I just want to plant that, that what he's talking about in verse 17 is people that are spiritually alive, being caught up together with this mass multitude with the Lord in the air. Now the air, the air is really a metaphor for life. When God breathed into you the breath of life, he blew air into your lungs. So shall we ever be with the Lord. So shall we be in the presence of his life. We're with the life of the Lord forevermore. We're ascending, we're ascending, we're caught up in the cloud. Let, let me put it in some context. Verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brother. I don't want you to be ignorant, brother, concerning those which have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others that have no hope. Paul is obviously saying that you don't have to worry about people that are not awakened spiritually right now. That if something happens to them, you, you still have hope. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those that have fallen asleep, those that are sleeping, those that aren't awakened, those that are not alive yet spiritually, lest you sorrow and you have no hope. See, most people have no hope for people that have died. They thought that death is just the end of the story. There's nothing we can do any further. You know, they've made their choice. They're, they're eternally lost or they're walking streets of gold. It's one or the other. It is set in concrete. That's not what Paul's getting at. Let's go on. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Those who sleep in Jesus. It's possible to be dead in Christ. Do you remember Ephesians 1.4 when we were back there in Ephesians? That he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world? There are people that are in Christ today. They don't know it. They're asleep. But when he comes, when he, when he begins to manifest, he's going to include those that are still asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, verse 15, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain, again, alive and remain, we're alive spiritually, we're still here until the coming of the Lord, 
will by no means precede those that are asleep. Those that are asleep are going to come awake. We're not going to gain anything on them. They're coming awake. And the coming of the Lord, we're experiencing it today. He is coming today stronger than he's ever come. I guess you could relate it to the day of Pentecost. He came in the form of the dove and, and uh, fell on all flesh. We could say that the Lord has come to us today when we awaken. And more, the more we awaken, the stronger his coming becomes. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of the Lord, and the dead in Christ, the dead in Christ, he uses that phrase again, important phrase, the dead in Christ shall, shall rise first. It's an inter this is such an interesting passage of scripture. He's not talking about spiritual life, but a spiritual life. The church has been deceived into thinking this is about some kind of rapture or second coming, sometimes secretly. You know, God sneaks back in the middle of the night to get his people because he couldn't do it in the daytime. He totally lost everybody, the vast majority, so he's got to sneak back and catch us out. So we're caught up. What does caught up mean? It means we're coming up. It's we're, we're ascending. You're ascending today. Do you recognize that? You're coming higher in the Lord than you've ever been before. The important part is the alive part. There, there, there are, let me say it again. There are, are many right now that are dead in Christ. There's not many today, comparatively speaking, to 7 billion people on the planet. There are not many today that are living spiritually that have spiritually been quickened until they're tracking in the spirit, hearing in the spirit, living in the spirit, manifesting in the spirit, there's not many alive. And that's the chief qualification for sonship is to be awakened, it's to be alive. Isn't that what Paul was hitting on back in, in Philippians chapter three? That's what chapter three and verse 11 is, is all about. Chapter three, verse 11. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection, I want to get to this life, this resurrection of the dead. Those that are alive are being caught up in the Lord. That's us today. We're being caught up in him higher and higher. The more he becomes Lord, the more things that we lose, we let go of, the weights that are are taken off of us, make us lighter. We, you can ascend, an air balloon ascends much higher and much faster when you cut the weight off. The weights, the tanglements that we still have to this world that hold us in this, this dimension are holding us back. But the Spirit of God is removing those. Jesus is becoming Lord. And as they're removed, we ascend. We ascend. And we're ascending with, with uh, more and more people all the time, and it will get to become a dense cloud, a multitude of people. We're in that time. Do you remember what Jesus, Jesus said? People are looking for Jesus to come back again. You remember what Jesus said in John chapter 14? I bet, let, let me read this for you. Man, I'm never, I'm never gonna get through all this teaching today. Matthew, or John chapter 14, but this is important. I want you to, to understand about the ascension of sons, which is what 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13, 17 is all about. Paul wrote it to the church at Thessalonica, and he, he's, he's saying much the same thing back in Philippians chapter 3, just with different verbiage to different people. But Paul is tracing in that third chapter of Philippians his ascension as a son. Then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he broadens it out to even include those that are dead in Christ. He's saying they're going to they're hear the sound. They're going to hear the trumpet. 
That's not, that's not a physical bugle. It's a, it's a sound. It's a vibration. It's a frequency. They're going to pick up on what's, what's going on. They're going to hear it. Let, let me put it in Christianese for you because some of you are scratching your head. I can see you. Let me put it in Christianese. The sheep are hearing the voice of the shepherd. The shepherd knows the sheep. They're all his. All the sheep belong to him. If there's one that's missing, he goes out till he finds it. The sheep are hearing the voice of the shepherd. Paul didn't put in that verbiage. He's saying we're going to hear a trumpet. That's a sound. Many of you are hearing a sound today that many others are not hearing. That's why you're here with me at the Digital Cathedral. We are hearing something. And this something we're hearing is causing us to ascend. And as I look around, the cloud's getting bigger. It's getting more dense. There are more of us all of the time. So I am the voice of the trumpet. I am the voice of the archangel. I am the voice of the Lord that speaks and calls the dead to life. And we're not going to precede them. They're coming with us. We're all coming as one multitude, one dense, thick crowd of people. It's not a fact Jesus coming back. He's come back in us. Here's what, here's what Jesus said in John chapter 14. Are you still with me? I haven't lost yet, have I? John chapter 14. This is kind of deep today. I realize that. John chapter 14, verse 16. He said, I pray the Father and he'll give you another helper. And he will abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, they're spiritually dead. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. It doesn't perceive him by senses or by intellect. But you know him because he dwells with you and will be in you. Watch. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to the ones that he's speaking to. Now, if he came to them, certainly he's come to us. Certainly he's come to us. This is, I, I, we're talking about things that are progressive. They're ongoing. Until this glory of God, this, this cloud, until it covers the earth as waters cover the sea. It's progressive and it's ongoing until we go to our neighbor and say, let me tell you about the Lord. And they say, don't have to tell you about the Lord. I know him. From the greatest to the least, they'll know of him. So the lower we go, the higher we ascend. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 to 11 is all about that. This is what's happening inside of you. You're realizing how alive you really are with resurrection life. You're seeing it. You're realizing it. You're looking in the mirror in the morning and you're saying, that dude's alive, man. It's the same power that was in Jesus that is quickening this man's mortal body. Same power is raising me every day. Do you feel that pull higher? I know you do. If you didn't feel the pull higher, you would not be watching me today because that's the, that's the pull I feel and I'm, I'm passing it to you to feel as well. If you've heard the trumpet, if you felt the vibration, if you've heard the frequency, those that are dead in Christ are going to hear it as you pass it on. Those in Ephesians 1.4 that are chosen in him, which is all of us before the foundation of the world, are going to hear the voice of the archangel, are going to hear the trumpet. We'll hear the word of the Lord as he ascends and meets us in this cloud as we ascend, right? He's meeting us right where we're at. You, you are God's wake-up call. You get it? You're the trumpet. You're the voice of the archangel. You're the one that is calling the dead in Christ to life, those that are dead but don't know it. That's what we're doing here at the Digital Cathedral. 
Together we're learning to ascend higher and higher and higher. Sons and daughters, man, we're being, we're being caught up into his very presence. The more, the more alive and aware we are, the more and alive and aware we become. It, it's an ongoing process. It's an ongoing process. The more alive we become, the more alive we become. The more aware we are, the more aware we become. Those that have much more will be given. So we need to fully realize that this thing is going on now. It's not out in the future somewhere. It's not out yonder someplace. It's happening now. The issue is, who are you and whose are you? Paul settled that issue. He knew that he had been bought with a price, that he belonged to the Lord. So he said, okay, I'm losing it all that I can gain that knowledge. I'm losing it all. I set it all aside in comparison to gain Christ. So the only thing left for us to experience is the glory of the Lord, a full display in our body of his presence, of his, of his likeness, of his reflection, which comes from that resurrection power that quickens our, our mortal bodies, that gives life to us, that we in turn can pass that life to other people. See, he, 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 you crucified with him, buried with him, rose with him. And in Ephesians 2.6, it says that you're now seated with him in heavenly places. That's where you've ascended. You're living in two worlds at one time. Now, the more you are aware, the more you're leaving this world and you're embracing that world. But you're, you're seated with him as much as you're seated on your sofa watching me this morning, or I'm seated in this chair ministering and teaching to you today at the Digital Cathedral. The more your awareness grows, the more spirit-to-spirit -spirit interaction you and the Father have. All right, so real quick, let's just go back to Philippians chapter 3. All right, verses 4, 5, and 6, he says, this is what I counted on. In the first three verses, he says, don't, don't count on what I counted on. He said, I counted on the flesh. I, I did every flesh thing you could possibly do. This is what I counted on. But at verse 7, he says, I heard the trumpet, man. I caught the frequency. And this dead man in Christ arose. Paul said in, in Galatians 1, 15, 16, he said, what it pleased the Father who separated me from my mother's womb to reveal the Christ that was in me. The Christ had always been in Paul. He was dead to it. He was not awakened to it. But when he heard the trumpet, when he heard the frequency, when he heard the call, he was caught up. He was caught up, and the cloud at that time was not very large, not nearly as big as it is today, but he was caught up. So in verse 7, he builds on that. In verse 8, he found his identity, and in verse 9 and 10, he feels that pull higher until verse 11, he attains that resurrection life to where there is absolutely no death at all. And he just walks from one day the living room into the, into the dining room. Are you feeling that pull today, man? I am. I have felt a tremendous pull just as I've done the teaching today. I have felt the Lord pulling us as a group of people into a higher place, into a new, new place together. The cloud is growing. Digital Cathedral is attracting people from all over the world. And we're not the only show in town. I never want to present myself that way. There are a lot of good teachers 
and a lot of good things going on today in the body of Christ. You are part of one of them here. And as we ascend, we're ascending with others. We're sending with others all over the world. Matter of fact, you're ascending on the digital cathedral with people from Africa, Australia, England, Canada, South America, all over the world. The, the, the cloud is growing. We've been placed like lights all over the world and we're shining. We're beginning to shine. Can you feel the pull that Paul experienced? I surely can. You may not recognize it right now. You, 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 you may just have uh, come into an awareness that you're actually now living from the inside out. So you're not pampering this flesh or, uh, you know, think that by going to the gym every day, which I do, I try to eat right, I go to the gym every day, but I have realized that's not my life. That's not my life. My life is my spirit from within that is quickening this mortal body. Now maybe we just see things a little bit different this morning. Maybe we look at that first Corinthians or that first Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen to seventeen, and instead of a rapture, we now see the alive in Christ who are still here and remain are bringing also life by blowing the horn, setting the frequency, setting the tone, being the voice of the Lord in the earth today. We are we are shaking those that need to be shaken and to be awakened that they can be part of this cloud that is ascending in him. The ascension of sons is a marvelous thing, powerful thing, wonderful thing, and the more you tap into it, the more you want to tap into it. Hey, we've learned a lot today, man. <laughs> I'm sorry that I didn't stop with 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 13 and 17 and break it down even farther. I think if you go back based on what I've laid out for you and think about it, maybe look at maybe look at a couple other translations. Look at the mirror. I, I haven't looked at the mirror, but I bet you Francois will have the same perspective on it that I've laid out for you today. It's not a rapture scripture. No such animal as the rapture. But there is such an animal as the ascension of sons, and you're experiencing it as part of a growing number of people in the earth today. Man, I love making this journey with you. I love, I love Sunday morning. I love the digital cathedral. Let's talk more about this on Wednesday night. Can we do that? I'll see you Wednesday night at 8 o'clock Central on the Don Keithley Ministries page. If you have not joined that page, just go over there and request to join. It's a private group, and I will accept your, your, your request. I got it private so that you can talk and share uh, without people uh, harassing you or trolling. There's no trolling there. I, I'll put them out. If I find people in a group that aren't there to build up the group, I, put, I just have no problem putting them out. So Wednesday night, that's where we'll be, 8 o'clock Central. Thank you for being with me. We'll see you next time on the Digital Cathedral.